Hello and welcome to Change the Conversation, a podcast from Darren Co. featuring frank conversations and fresh perspectives that can help you to connect, communicate and grow. I'm your host, Elaine Burke, the editor-in-chief of Darren Co. And I'm joined today by Dr. Nicola Fox-Hamilton, a cyber psychology expert who has written and researched a lot on online behaviour, including how we behave with online dating. Welcome, Nicola. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. I know you know a lot about this stuff and I know exactly nothing about online dating other than the stories I've heard from other people. Uh, I'm completely inexperienced with this world. So I'm coming at this to try and ask you the questions that maybe someone else who's coming to this world afresh uh, and wondering what the hell do I do here that you might be able to guide them on. So first things first, I did some research and there are different figures out there, but there's something in the range of hundreds to thousands of dating apps mm-hmm. out there. So where do people even start? Are some more popular than others? And how many are there, do you think? Too many to count. Um, yeah. And new ones all the time and old ones disappearing all the time. I mean, there's so many and there's there's kind of something for everyone. There is the, the ones that have been around for a long time, like Match.com, eHarmony, OkCupid, Plenty of Fish. There's the new, very established ones like Tinder, Hinge, Bumble, etc. And then there's a plethora of ones. There's the religious ones like Muzz and Salt and Christian Mingle and J-Date. There's ones for people who like farming and the outdoors, um, Muddy Feet, I think it's called. There's ones for people who are interested in fetishes like FetLife. There's ones for people who want non-monogamous relationships like Field. Um, there's just, there's something for everybody there. So it's kind of about finding what you're interested in. If you're just generally dating, then probably one of the, the bigger, more established ones is going to have a bigger database of people for you to choose from. But if you've got more specific interests, then one of the smaller ones might suit you better. Yeah. So it does seem to be that the, the proliferation of them is addressing that there are different markets out there and different people looking for different things. So if you're looking for a bigger pool, one of the bigger services is what to go for. But if you have specific interest specific needs and stuff like that just have a search there's probably yeah. something out there there's there does seem to be one for everyone exactly. in the audience apparently. yeah and even it like if you have experience with something like tinder where you get so many matches and it can be quite overwhelming then maybe you want to try something smaller where they limit the number of matches that they give you every day and you might actually get a better experience that way. So there's there's different kinds of sites for whatever kind of experience that you want. So some of them are actually addressing kind of different user needs because I imagine it can yeah. be very overwhelming for people who yeah. are getting into this for the first time and um, when they are getting lots of alerts and there's lots of things to swipe through and they can probably get a bit jaded, I suppose, yeah. as well. Yeah, I think people get jaded quite quickly. Um, they can get a bit of fatigue from it. And some of some of the newer ones like um, Bumble, for example, addressed problems that women were having with men just sending ridiculous first messages and, you know, non-consensual images and things like that. So Bumble decided women had to make the first move. So a lot of the newer ones or some of the newer ones are designed to address flaws in the bigger sites. Um, so if you're running into issues like that, then you can find one that maybe works a little bit better for you. And there are so many. Um, now, some of the really small ones just might not have enough people in your area. So you've kind of got to balance having enough people with the functionality that works for you. Um, but there are a lot out there. Yeah. And especially for people in Ireland, because Ireland would be one of the smaller markets for these as well. Are there are the ones that you're familiar with that are probably have the largest Irish population on them? Yeah. So I think... Um, Tinder, Hinge and Bumble are the three top ones, as far as I remember, in Ireland. And then things like Match.com, um, OkCupid, there's, there's, the top ten are, are all fairly recognisable, with a couple of newer ones kind of making their way up. Um, the UK tends to get the newer ones first, and then they gradually kind of penetrate into Ireland after that. 
Yeah. And you mentioned a bit about some of the bad behavior that can happen on these apps. And we're definitely going to talk a bit more about that. Yeah. But let's like look at some of the positives as well, mm-hmm. because there are reasons why these apps work for some people. Yeah. Uh, obviously, in this day and age, digital communication is quite commonplace for people. And it isn't like an easy enough way mm-hmm. to uh, meet people that you wouldn't otherwise get the chance to meet. Yeah. Um, but also, like you mentioned to me before, that it's it can help with confidence building as well and being able to start a conversation yeah. because you're given, you know, a framework and um, a system within to do that rather than having to just encourage yourself to approach someone at a bar or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I think the barrier for starting something is much lower in online dating. You're basically swiping right on them. And if somebody swipes right back and you get a match, there's a small indication that they might like you. And so the next step of actually starting a conversation is much less stressful than just approaching someone in a bar who you don't know if they're single, you don't know whether they'll like you or not, you don't know if they're straight or gay, you don't know anything about them. Um, So it, it makes it a lot easier. And for people who are socially anxious or shy, um, they find it easier to express themselves online as well. And for people who have high rejection sensitivity, so they notice and feel rejection more than other people, they also find it easier to be themselves online. And so they find it easier to open up and actually express who they really are in their dating profiles and in conversations with people much more than they can face to face. So it makes it much easier for them. And I know that other people also use it to practice flirting and having conversations so that they can find it easier in person as well. So it is really quite useful for quite a lot of people. On the other side, if you're the person being practiced on maybe it's less fun for you but then I suppose you can have chats with other people because I think I saw percentage wise only like maybe 11% 10 to 11% of people on these apps are only talking to one person at a time it's about kind of trying to make multiple connections and hope that one of them might turn into something else yeah I mean it really is it's sort of a numbers game in a way um what you're looking to do is increase the amount of people that you meet so that you have a better chance of meeting that person who's great for you it's not really about finding the one person on the app Um, really you can't tell until you meet in person. So it's just about getting lots of low key dates that are low investment so that you meet lots of people and hopefully meet some nice people, make friends and maybe meet a great person. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I mean, you can, it it can lead to anything. Yes. The the communications that you have, you might just, you know, find someone that you have common interests with and become friends with, which is no bad result. And actually a lot of people who have moved to new countries or cities use it as a way to make friends. And a lot of people are using it to just increase their social circle. Um, And even with things like Grindr, which you, people perceive very much as a hookup app, people use it for all sorts of reasons. And one of them is making friends and increasing social circles. So it's not as straightforward as it looks sometimes. I've even seen that there are apps now copying the dating app model for these kind of things. Yes. So there's even like an app for uh, connecting with new mothers uh, that might be in your area because obviously that's a very specific life stage yeah, that you might yeah. want to connect with other people on. So the model must work if it's yeah. now being co-opted yeah. by You, you can even find a dog to walk using a very similar app to dating apps. Do you like swipe right on the dogs <laughs> yeah, that you yeah, like? Totally. And don't like? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, I might sign up for that now. That sounds yeah. like one for me. You might want to walk small dogs. You might want to walk big dogs. Yeah, yeah, that's really <laughs> cool. Oh, wow, it really works. Um, but there are other sides to this. So like these are businesses. They mm-hmm. have a bottom line that they want to hit. And it is, it's a multi-billion dollar industry at the moment, this whole dating yeah. world. Uh, so are their motivations sometimes a little bit skewed in how they design these apps in that like your success actually will be a loss for them? I don't know. I know that a lot of people think that way. And of course, like if everyone went on there and the first person they were matched with was the one and then they immediately got off, that would be a problem. But 
they are successful because a certain percentage of people do meet somebody. They need a certain percentage of people to be meeting somebody. And then word of mouth spreads. So if you know someone that has tried online dating, you're much more likely to try it as well. And you're much more likely to perceive, perceive it positively. Um, so they want positive word of mouth. If everybody's on there and no one's meeting anybody good, that's not positive word of mouth. So they want it to be successful. And it's not that they're not trying hard to find the perfect matching algorithm. It's a really, really difficult thing to do. Like if somebody had worked that out, they would be a billionaire now. Um, it's really difficult because there's so much involved in our personal preferences and things like pheromones. Like there's so much involved that you cannot do online that you need to be in person for. Um, so it's, it's difficult and they're doing a good job at just bringing lots of people together and having them interact. And I mean, it's now the most common way to meet a new partner, to start a new long-term relationship. Like so many marriages, I think it's, I can't remember the exact stat now, but I think it's over 50% of new marriages now are people that met somewhere online. And most of those are through online dating, as well as social media, gaming, comment sections of newspapers. You know, it's it's just really common now. It's so mainstream. Yeah, because as I said, digital communication is like for a lot of people these days, sometimes their primary form of communication yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but I wonder as well, like uh, they obviously are adding new features to these apps all the time. And it's not the f a case that like everything on the app is paid for either. Some of them have a free version of it yeah. that will give you some basic features. Um, but in terms of adding those features, are they also trying to introduce features that will help with that offline um, part of the relationship? Because as you said, like that's a huge, hugely important factor if you do want something to move forward, become an offline relationship, become something more than a chat yeah. back and forth. Yeah, I think we'll see more and more of that. So like during COVID, a lot of them introduced the video conferencing um, feature, which had been there on quite a few apps, but nobody used until COVID came along. And then a lot of people used it and realized it was actually really useful because that first date, like I said, is really the last kind of screening stage. And you could do that in 20 minutes from your home without having to get dressed up and take an expensive taxi somewhere. Uh, so I think a lot more people used that and found it helpful. I think we're going to see more ways of interacting in a more naturalistic way that help you get to know the person that's a bit more three-dimensional. And that might be like actually three-dimensional, like VR or AR maybe. Um, so there's been some research from people trying to find ways to do this. Um, so playing a game together helps you get to know somebody in a more naturalistic way and people like each other more, continue that liking face to face more. Um, walking around a virtual art gallery together, it gives you something to talk about and focus on. I suppose that's really about structuring conversations better, maybe providing a focal point. I know a lot of people, I, I did some research during COVID with people who were online dating during the lockdowns. And a lot of people said that for many of them, the quality of conversation went up because there was something to talk about. There was something structured to talk about. <laughs> they could talk about the effects of COVID on their life, their family, their jobs, their work, how they were dealing with it, their mental health. They felt like the conversations went a bit deeper a lot of the time. Um, so having something, some common ground can be really helpful for that. That's really interesting as well, because I did notice in the statistics that there was a, a huge surge of new signups to these apps from 2018 to 2020. And I can imagine that a lot of that was motivated by the fact that there was no other way yeah. to meet people or to connect with people in this kind of fashion yeah. than going through dating apps. I think they nearly doubled in that period. It exploded in March 2020. And also people had nothing else to do. They had no like so much time on their hands. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were stuck 
in an apartment by themselves or with roommates with no partner and were like, you know, I was living my life and I was really enjoying it. But actually, now that I'm here like this, a, a partner would actually be nice. And they started to reprioritize what they're interested in and kind of focus on that. So, yeah, it kind of shifted things for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. I love that you mentioned as well that idea of if you could uh, find other ways to engage with that person that you're, you've connected with on an app, if you're moving things forward, like, you know, play an online game or, or you know, explore virtual environments or something like that. If, if you're not ready yet for the step mm. for real life. But there is also that element of these apps kind of having a gamification of their own, like uh, my own partner took his friend's phone before and said, oh, give us a go with your Tinder as if it was a game and he was playing it for him. Um, so like, I think there's a few people who maybe see it a bit like yeah, that. Yeah, and absolutely. like if you're approaching it like that, like from your uh cyber psychology expertise like is that like an unhealthy way to maybe approach these apps or not necessarily um like it's sort of treating it as more fun than very serious but not everybody's looking for a serious relationship people date in a fun way they go to bars they happen to run into somebody who looks fun and interesting and so they go on a date with them it doesn't always have to be serious um and different dating apps are more serious than others. You know, if you want something more serious, you're probably going to go to Match or OkCupid or Plenty of Fish or eHarmony or something like that, maybe that you pay for. Um, If you're looking for a bit more lighthearted fun, you might go to Tinder or one of the others. Um, So there's a lot of motivations for using it. You know, obviously finding romantic love, sex, um, but entertainment, alleviating boredom are two common motivations for using Tinder. Um, and particularly when it came at first, people would often use it in friend groups. They would share and share phones around and do it because it was kind of curious and new and stuff like that. Um, it probably doesn't happen quite as much anymore, but I think it still happens a little bit. People also use it for travel. When they're going to a new place, they'll ask for recommendations. They'll meet people, not necessarily even to date, but just to meet new people. Um, they also use it to get a confidence boost. So if you're just out of a long-term relationship, you haven't been dating in ages, you're not sure whether people will even find you attractive anymore because you're feeling kind of down. It can be nice to go on and have people find you attractive by matching with you and to have some conversations with people and then maybe even just jump off the app. You don't even need to go on dates and that can be enough for people. Um, so there's lots of different reasons for using it. It's not it's not just go find dates. That's it. So maybe as a user, a good way to approach them is kind of with an open mind and just seeing this as like, you know, it may not be that everyone on this app has the same goals as you, maybe mm-hmm. unless it's one of those very, very specific apps that, uh, that outlines that very specifically. Yeah. Um, but to approach it as a way like this is just a touch point. This is a way to connect with people. Some will be good people. Some won't be for me. And that's yeah. that's how it will go. Really. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there are, I think you've mentioned this to me before, um, differences between male and female experiences on the app. Just if we're going to focus on like a, a binary uh, for the moment, we yeah. will talk more about LGBTQIA communities. But if we're looking at the male experience on the app and the female experience on the app, you've said they're very different on these apps, they are. I should say. They really are. Um, yeah, like they both have their issues, but those issues are substantially different from each other. Um, so men's issues tend to be more around feeling like they're just not getting any response. And they can get quite a lot of anxiety from that. So they swipe a lot more on profiles, swipe right a lot more on profiles than women do. They're much less picky, much more impulsive. Um, They'll also respond to messages from people that they haven't even matched with without even looking at their profile. So much less careful about who they swipe on. Um, They also don't have to worry about their safety as much, particularly when they're dating women. Um, women are much more thorough in how they consider who they're swiping on. And so they swipe on a lot less people. So men get very few matches. They have very slow match rate, whereas women is quite high in comparison. 
Um, and then men send a lot of first messages. Most of them are not good quality. They're extremely short. Like 25% of them are six characters or less, which is just, hey, like waving hand emoji. <laughs> um, and so women are getting a ton of messages, but they don't really give them anything to work with. And so they just pick the best ones. So they'll pick the guys who wrote a good thing, interesting thing, something different and original. And all the guys who said, hey, just aren't getting any reply. And so they feel kind of like they're just putting themselves out into this void. Nothing's coming back. And they can sometimes get, you know, start sending controversial messages or persistent messages going, please answer, please answer. Why aren't you answering? And then get rude and start calling names and things like that. And in some ways I can understand they feel like they're just abandoned and alone and no one's interested in them. Um, but of course, if you're on the receiving end of that, it just feels like harassment or abuse. So that's not an appropriate way to respond to it. Women, on the other hand, have a very different experience. They get the harassment and abuse side of things. So most of the problems that they experience are related to sexual harassment, sexual abuse, um, slurs and name calling. And like with young women, up to 20% of them can get physical threats as well. Huge, huge, huge numbers of this kind of problem, as well as unsolicited sexual imagery and messages as well. Huge problem. So yeah, very different experiences, each problematic in its own right. And then of course there's other aspects, like if you look at ethnic minority groups, they tend to be fetishized, they are discriminated against. I mean, there are many problems in society and they are certainly crystallized in dating apps. Yeah, 100%. Like a, a lot of things online do get crystallized yeah. in that way. And your advice for people who maybe are a bit, uh, have had a bad experience and maybe are a bit hesitant to get back out there on dating apps, but do want to find some mm. way to connect with people, would it be to try and find maybe apps that have put forward policies to protect them from these things that are maybe more specific and... Um, to uh, ethnic minority groups to make sure that they aren't going to be put in those situations. Like, because I know mm. that there are apps made for specific are, groupings yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, um, there are, but people may not want to limit themselves to yeah. that. They might want to be more open. Um, in some ways, it's part and parcel of being in online dating. There's going to be some stuff. I think report, block, unmatch. And if you're feeling overwhelmed by it, delete your profile for a while. People frequently delete their profiles and go in and out of apps. They don't stay on them for years without kind of taking breaks. Um, but it, it is a huge problem. But I think report, extensively report people who do stuff like that. I think so many, it happens so often that people just kind of take it in their stride and go, ah, it's part and parcel of it. But like apps really need to be dealing with it better. Mm -hmm. um, like we know that, for example, Instagram can pinpoint a female nipple in about a half a second after it's been uploaded. They've gotten better. Dating apps have definitely gotten better at recognizing dick pics. Um, but they're also developing their algorithms to recognize harassment and abuse and, you know, racism and stuff like that. So yeah. th they're still working on it, but reporting it kind of helps with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a really good point to make that like, just because there's a narrative out there that this is what happens on these apps mm -hmm. does not mean that it's acceptable. Yeah, and no, I think people shouldn't behave like that. Like they do not deserve to have these experiences yeah. and to use the tools that are available to them, which is the block report and, and um, kind of a flag, everything yeah. that they can with the apps themselves. Yeah. Um, and also then do you have, uh, there's this other narrative uh, specifically around Grindr is the one that you hear about the most when it comes to the LGBTQI play, uh, IA plus apps um, that things are a little bit more direct there that uh, if you're on there and you're just looking for sex, like there's a bit more freedom there for people to be open about that and to be mm. upfront and to just be 
back and forth and quite quickly engage in a hookup. Uh, is that something that you find to be true from your research? Yeah, I mean, it is. It And it's it's partly to the fact that it's mainly men and men would be more direct if women were open to that. You know, so it's men interacting with men. And so they're going to be that way. Um, but not everyone on there, like there's very different groups who are on Grindr and not everyone is like that. There are definitely a, a substantial group of people who are. Um, and it's great because it is really direct. They don't have to play around with figuring out what people want. Because for women on regular dating apps like Tinder and so on, if they are interested in hookups, it's actually very difficult to signal that without just getting a barrage of dick pics and sexual messages that you don't want. You still want someone to actually have a conversation with you and show some interest in you as a human. Um, and it can be quite difficult to manage that. So to say it without saying it too explicitly is very, very difficult to navigate. Whereas on something like Grindr, it's a lot more straightforward. People just say what they're actually interested in. Now, Grindr is not without its problems. There's huge problems with racism and um, fetishization of race and and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, stigma around HIV and, and all sorts of stuff. But they're certainly a bit more direct in what they're looking for, which is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like it, that's always kind of painted as like an app for men who have sex with men. But I mean, Grindr's not just an app for men who have sex no. with men. It's just kind of been painted that way in the media. So we hear a lot of these stories about like these kind of cis experiences on dating apps and then gay male experiences on dating apps. So don't hear a lot about lesbian experiences on dating apps or trans experiences on mm. dating apps. I'm like, are you aware of what's happening for them and why it's not so well documented? Um, I think like... I don't know. Lesbians are a little quieter, I think, about stuff. <laughs> I mean, there there are lesbian dating apps. Like Her is a big lesbi lesbian dating app now, um, very successful. Um, and like women often meet women on regular dating apps as well. I think it can be a little harder for men and it's very much harder for bisexual people um, because if they use regular dating apps, they get asked to be in threesomes all the time. Um, and if by men say that they're bi, they'll get expressions of interest from men, but not from women. If they say they're straight, they'll get it from women. It's it's just a whole mess. Um, but tr I, I think like the whole experience of the LGBTQAI plus community is under-researched for just their normal experience of dating. So there's a lot of research on men having sex with men and um, diseases, AIDS, condom use, risk-taking, drug-taking, all that kind of stuff. Um, and because that's not as common in the lesbian community, there's less of that. But I'm starting to see more research coming out. So there's like one really nice research paper on trans and non-binary people and their experiences of online dating, just a qualitative study with interviews. Um, but again, it's, you know, their experiences aren't all positive. They do get to connect with the queer community. They get to find some community. They get to have a chance to meet people, to be open about who they are, but they also get fetishized and abused and harassed and so on. Um, but I really want to see more research yeah. that looks at just the normal experiences um, yeah. of how they meet people and how those interactions go and, and what it looks like from that that experience. And it's, it's dreadful to hear that they do... Uh, end up on the receiving end of harassment and stuff like that and nearly being targeted because of who they are as well yeah. um, the same way it's happening for people of different races and stuff like that but and, and it's not surprising unfortunately because that is something that happens online outside of dating apps just online in general and it's it's just 
horrendous and mm-hmm. there's a lot of work that needs to be done across the board on the internet for this kind of thing. Yeah. But is there is there an advantage um, to the fact that, like you were saying, in dating apps, you can be upfront about who you are and what you're about. And I'd say for uh, people who are maybe newly out as well and don't actually have a queer network mm. uh, that they're aware of, that for them to be able to even identify people that it is safe to kind of flirt with yes. um, and, and know that they're going to get a good response. Yeah. Uh, like th- there's probably some pros there as well. Oh, that I mean, yeah. it probably doesn't do enough to outweigh some of the yeah. cons, but it's, it is nice to know that, there are spaces there that they'd be able to be outwardly who they are and find people who are interested in yeah. because of that as well. And actually the LGBTQAI plus community were online far before the straight community were um, to form community networks, to find partners like young queer people are much more likely to find a partner online than young straight people. And um Older queer people are much more likely to meet a life partner online, like much more likely, significantly more likely to meet someone online because they're they're already a small section of the population. A lot of them are already in couples. And so you do need to increase your pool of available candidates because you've got limited access to people. But with young people going online helps them find community, helps them see people who have successfully come out, how to like learn how to come out to your family what to do if it goes well, what to do if it doesn't go well, get support if it doesn't go well, what living a successful queer life looks like, mm. um, showing positive outcomes. All of those things are just so hugely, hugely important. Um, and online dating, even for people who aren't out yet, gives them a chance to practice again. That I was idea. just going to ask about that because I yeah. think if someone was questioning yeah. uh, and you were talking earlier about being able to practice very yeah, and to express like that, that yeah. side of yourself and see if it feels real or try it out and, and find a safe way to do it where you're not in front of people and you aren't going to get beaten up if that's your worst fear or depending on yeah. where you live. So I think it's it's a really valuable community and I know a lot of queer people find huge community online and through dating networks and meet lots of friends through online dating. Um, but of course it comes with it, the downside and its issues. And I think each of the groups has its own downsides and issues that yeah. are similar, but separate. It's a little bit like, uh, like with a lot of things that once technology is plugged in, it's not that the technology has created new problems. It just maybe has amplified problems yeah. that already exist because these are problems that existed in the dating world exactly. prior to any technology. But it's just when you put them at scale, <laughs> it yeah. does kind of amplify And we can certainly bit. see them, I think, in yeah. a way that we and weren't able to them. see stuff before. Like we could pretend things didn't exist before, but now they're so visible. It's very difficult to do that, which is a good thing because now we're tackling it. Hopefully. Yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some best practice for people, some tips on maybe how to navigate these apps in the best way possible. So starting with like your profile pics and your bios, you mentioned like um, different people may approach them differently, Mm. may even not read them. And I can imagine if it was me and someone started messaging me and everything was already in my bio and they hadn't read that first, I would be quite frustrated with Mm. with that, but that's who I am as a person. Um, I imagine that most people would be frustrated. (laughs) Most women are frustrated to see women are more likely to read men's profiles Mm -hmm. and to not only look at men's profiles to see if the man is a good match for them, but also to see if they are a good match for the man Mm -hmm. and they won't message them if they look like they're not. Uh, Whereas men look at women's profiles to see if the woman's a good match for them. 
and that's where it ends. They don't look at the woman's preferences to see if they actually match it a lot of the time. Of course, with any of these things, with the research, it's an average, a generalization that, of course, there are some men who do, there are some women who don't. Yeah. Um, but they are more likely to. Um, so, yeah, that's that's definitely a problem. A lot of men don't bother writing profiles and like they get so many more responses if they have even the shortest bio. Um, the same with photographs. If you have one photograph, that's fine. But if you have three or four photographs, you're going to get like four times the amount of matches, particularly if you're a guy. Uh, women like to have more information because it helps us feel safe. We feel like we know the person a little bit better. It's a bit reassuring. We can look them up. We can find out more about them. If we have no information about them, do you really want to go meet somebody that you know nothing about? You know, it's that's not a safe decision that a lot of women want to make. And a consciousness of that would be really, really helpful going into it if, if you are uh, a man seeking to meet with a woman yeah. to just be aware that, I mean, statistically three quarters of the women on these apps do care what's in your profile. So pay a bit of attention to that. Yeah. And also when you're approaching them, I, I, I think men are, a lot of men I would know would be mindful of this uh, in person with mm. women that they don't want to seem like they understand that women have safety consciousness yeah. at the forefront in these kind of engagements, but they're probably maybe not acknowledging that as much online and yeah. they need to just kind of like, learn a bit of those skills in the online spaces yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. And I think they get into that thing of just sending lots of messages that are really short and generic rather than looking at someone, looking at profiles and going, is this person someone that I'm actually interested in? Do we have something in common? Can I talk about that in my initial message that I sent? You know, oh, hey, you're into this as well. Me too, you know. It's, it's a good way to open a conversation. People appreciate when you've read their profiles. Now, how many women are into fishing? Because I'm told that an awful lot of the pictures <laughs> that men are putting up are of them with fish um, I, I think it's about? not as bad in Ireland as it is in America um yeah I, I think what happens is that men don't think about what women actually want from photographs so they think with the male gaze and what they see as attractive in other men is like a masculine quality like you caught a big fish you have a shiny car you are sitting beside a drugged tiger um what else do they do playing half playing a guitar that they clearly don't play um those kinds of things are not things that women find attractive like a dead fish is never going to scream <laughs> take me to bed to a woman um well maybe there's the rare woman out there but it's it's uncommon uh whereas women understand what men want because our entire media landscape is the male gaze like it is designed to instruct us on what men are interested in looking at Men have had very little instruction on what women actually like to look at. And they dismiss the things we like to look at. They think of them as girly things that aren't really worthy of their attention a lot of the time. And so they don't learn from that and create profiles that work accordingly. Yeah, like there's a, a, a societal issue at play here that, again, a bit of awareness could go a long yeah. way for anyone building these profiles. On the, we've rated the men long enough. Uh, on the women's <laughs> side, what, I, what I'm hearing from friends and that that I know that are on these apps and stuff like that is that when you talk about preferences mm. and stuff like that that nearly they could be a bit too specific uh in, in what they're looking for and not really opening opening themselves up to the possibility that maybe you know the idea of Prince Charming in your head is not going to be on this app but someone who is perfect for you and doesn't fit that brief might well yeah. be <laughs> yeah absolutely uh women tend to have stronger and more preferences in general always have probably from like evolution that we were the ones left carrying the babies and therefore we wanted someone who was going to stick around provide etc that's the theory anyway um and so women 
tend to have stronger preferences. We are also, again, worried about safety and so on. You know, like intimate partner violence is a problem. <laughs> Stranger violence is a problem. And so we do have preferences that correspond to that as well. But when you are on dating apps for a while, you can develop a mindset of like relation shopping where you start having this list of qualifications that you match people against. And you also start, instead of thinking about what you want and having a relationship goal and matching people to that, you start comparing them to each other. No, that guy's better looking than that guy, but, yeah, but that guy plays that sport that I like and I'm interested in, but he's not as good looking as that guy. And really you're just sending yourself into a loop of poor decision-making and wasting your own time because you're comparing not good choices against a goal that isn't even realistic or specific and what you want. I suppose you need to approach that with, a, a, by the way, I love the phrase relation shopping that is yeah. new to me and it's genius. Um, but really is there a benefit to coming at this with a mindset of like, stop looking at this as the finished product. This mm -hmm. is just the first stage. You haven't even swiped yes. yet, started a conversation. Like yeah. there's so many steps to go through before you're in your mind where you think that you're at already, know, you know, yeah. like you haven't given them a chance really yeah. for that evaluation. So maybe don't take it too far when you're yeah. reviewing the profiles. And like, you know, online dating is actually not a great way to get a feel for what somebody's like. Like my research in my PhD was looking at how people project their personality and their dating profiles and how other people perceive them and whether or not it's accurate. And it's absolutely not accurate. And other researchers found the same thing. Like we, we're really bad at telling what somebody's really like. And that's the most important thing. Those kind of warm experiential qualities are the thing that makes us fall in love with somebody. It's not whether or not they have a nice car or play golf or not. You know, they're the things you can search for or point out on dating profiles. But the feeling you get from somebody is what you actually like. And you really can't tell that until you meet in person. And so, so much of our rejection process happens before we get near to meeting someone in person. Um, and some of those people are probably people that if you met them in a bar in a relaxed setting, you might go, oh, I really like, I like his smile, but you didn't like his profile picture. So it's, it's a really tricky one. It does give you access to more people, but you might also be missing out on some people that aren't perfect in, in, in yeah. online dating apps. And also I hear a lot of people comment on, oh, they didn't look like their picture. And I'm kind of like, who does look like their yeah. picture? Especially yeah. not like a profile picture, yeah, like a yeah, headshot. The best picture like that's that. ever been taken. Yeah. In the most perfect lighting, you were having your <laughs> best hair day ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like, I think we need to bring a bit of realism to that as well, yeah. because like, yeah, we're all putting out our best face on pictures, but like we have many faces. <laughs> like we yes. have the first thing in the morning face, <laughs> we yeah. have the last thing at night face. And yeah. like, we don't always look at our very, very best, but you can still look plenty good to someone <laughs> yeah exactly um yeah it's a really interesting one and like especially you know women are more guilty of doctoring their photos filtering using older photos like okay cupid at one point found that the more attractive a woman's photograph was rated the older it was uh, so we are very guilty of that men lie about other things like whether or not they're in a relationship whether or not they have children their height um so we, we lie about different stuff but that's i think that's definitely a problem particularly for women's photos. I think men are a little bit less likely to filter and Photoshop and use lighting and, and stuff like that. In fact, men probably could do with some help in choosing photographs sometimes, I think, um, because sometimes you look through and you're like, is that the best photograph that you have? Not the one with the fish, dude, not that one. <laughs> <Or the laughs> Please no. Bathroom selfie. <laughs> like, 
with the dirty mirrors. With the dirty mirrors. They're, they're yeah. the worst. Don't clean your mirror. Yeah. <laughs> One piece of advice to take away from this. Yeah. Clean your mirror before you take the selfie. <laughs> um, so if you were to have a bad experience in one of these apps, and there, mm. there are plenty of bad experiences out there. I mean, catfishing, scams, misrepresentation, as we mentioned there, dick pics, harassment, ghosting. The list goes on. And yeah. It's a broad, broad spectrum mm. of bad behavior. Um, but like it is, a, unfortunately, a very common experience on these apps. I think um, up to 42% of women have been made to feel uncomfortable with interactions that they've had on, on these apps. A quarter of men, um, inappropriate pics sent to about 20% of men, 32% of women. So it does happen to men as well. We should mention that. Um, and I think catfishing has definitely gone up and scams and stuff like that are costing maybe mm. over $300 million is the estimate of romance scams on I these apps and stuff like that. So much higher than that. Oof. Much higher. That's, I'd say a lot of it is underreported because yeah. some people are embarrassed that they've been scammed yes, and, and don't actually report it at yeah. all. So are there uh, kind of best practices in terms of just protecting yourself from uh, first of all, scams and misrepresentations yeah. and those kind of behaviors. Yeah. So there's some really, really big red flags to look out for. And these, it could be scams, it could be catfishing. It could just be someone who's dodgy, like married or otherwise not kind of behaving honorably, shall we say, on an app. Um, the first one is someone who won't meet you, can't meet you, keeps backing out of plans, won't meet you, won't video chat. Um, that's That person's probably not who they say they are. So that's a huge, huge red flag that should just not be ignored. Um, the second one is asking you for money or gift cards or anything like that before you've met in person. The problem with some of the scams is they groom people for quite a long time. And so by the time they actually ask for money or gifts, the person feels like this is their partner. And it's not unusual for your partner to ask you for a loan of some money or to help out. And so it doesn't feel like a violation of social norms, but it really is. If you haven't met somebody, just do not give them money, no matter how long you've been chatting online. Um, another one is profiles that are just too good to be true. They're a supermodel. You're a normal person. They're so perfect for you. They have the same interests in you as you. They think you're just super amazing, perfect. They're calling you my angel, my star. Um, they're talking within a couple of days of how much they love you and your life together and how you're going to get married. They're proposing. That is called love bombing. It's just bombarding you with love so that you're overwhelmed with the loveliness of it all and get pulled into a relationship that's quite intense so that they can groom you over a period of time. Um, so that's definitely something to look out for. Um, the profiles for scams are usually people that are stationed abroad somewhere or living in a socially economically deprived country. So the female ones are usually economically deprived. So that's why they can't travel to meet you. The male ones, they're normally like military or medical or on an oil rig, usually earning lots of money. Quite, you know, quite a nice catch, but can't meet you, but are about to move here and, and you know, move in with you and stuff. So sometimes the can't meet you element of it is actually constructed into it, it the, totally the fiction that yeah. they've built. Yeah. And there's often some sort of tragic story built in as well. Like the men are often widowed. The women are in a difficult situation. They're helping family or caring for someone who's sick, something like that. And that immediately makes you more sympathetic to them. And then they invoke a crisis to start the scam where they're actually trying to get money. And it's usually related to that in some way, like the widowed father who's looking after his child and his child's in an accident and they need to pay hospital fees or something like that. So it's something to evoke an emotional response, which stops you thinking clearly and makes you more likely to hand over the money. So we talked a bit about how to deal with harassment and it's definitely block report mm -hmm. and do all of those uh, things. But there's something that happens also on these apps that's not as serious as, sc as scamming people out of their yeah. money or anything like that, but it's still 
uh, not a pleasant experience to go through and it's rejection. Like it yes. is going to happen. You know, it you kind of have to accept that if you're going to play the numbers game, not all numbers yeah. are going to work in your favor. Um, and some people do react badly to this and maybe behave badly in response yeah. to these rejections as well. And even that has led to the process of ghosting where that's yeah. now a bad behavior and a bad way to end things. So first off, how do you deal with the rejection uh, in these apps? So it's it's part and parcel of taking part in the dating apps. You are absolutely 100% going to get rejected. You may not even know that you're getting rejected because there's going to be people swiping left on you. Um, but at some point, somebody's not going to respond or they're going to unmatch you, um, probably more than one. Um, the way to deal with it is to, if it keeps happening and you're not really getting any responses, to look at what you're doing and maybe ask for some help. Ask your friends or your family to look at some of your interactions to say, am I doing something here that's just not sitting right? Am I violating social norms somehow? Like, is the way I'm approaching people rude or does it come across as obnoxious or abusive or something? Is what am I doing here that's not working? So that could be helpful. Um, I think, you know, there was a study done quite recently that looked at rejection in both men and women. And it was quite interesting because only men reacted with anger and that anger turned into hostility towards the person who had rejected them as well as all women. So their feelings of hostility towards the opposite gender increased because of anger of being rejected. And it's not that all men who are rejected are going to end up as incels, but you can start to see the kernel of a pipeline where some men who are rejected frequently start to think that I am an incel, no one wants me, and then buy into that ideology. Um, so I think online dating is not great for that because men's experience is of feeling rejected a lot of the time. Um, I think they need to, this sounds terrible, but learn how to game the system better, learn how to work with the system in a way that's more effective that actually attracts women <laughs> um, by catering to what women are actually interested in by reading their profiles and yeah. talking about things that they have in common and having good conversations and you know that yeah. kind of thing and even that thing you were saying about like you know asking a friend about your interactions about your profile or something like yeah, that like yeah. uh, especially if you're a man who's seeking a relationship with a woman if you have a woman in your life yes you can vet your profile and, and be honest about it that would be really, it's a really helpful. good idea because women do that women are much more likely to ask their friends and family to look at their profile and say does this accurately reflect who i am does this sound like me is this good does this work men are much less likely to do that mm -hmm. and they're probably the ones who actually need it more sometimes I think yeah. and if you were on the other side of it if you've been engaged uh, in conversation with someone but it's not really working out for you and you do want to end it what's the better way than ghosting to do it so that you can do it in a nice yeah. way I mean obviously the the best possible outcome is that you say look it was nice chatting to you this isn't really the vibe I'm looking for or you're you're not quite what I'm looking for we have different things that were different goals that we're seeking. And so, you know, I, let's finish it now and not waste either of our time. Unfortunately, a lot of the time when women do that, men respond by getting abusive. Um, and so a lot of women are like once bitten, twice shy. And so they will just ghost or unmatch or even delete their accounts to avoid having to tell somebody that they're not continuing with the conversation because they're so afraid of what's going to happen. Retaliation is extremely common. Um, it's kind of, you know, it happens in, in the real world offline as well, where if a guy approaches you in a bar and is trying to buy you a drink or chat you up and you say no, they can sometimes get very, very aggressive. If you're really careful about how you say no and how you manage that situation and the energy of the person. Um, and so I think 
women aren't just ghosting because they're callous. They often actually feel really bad for the person, um, but they're doing it to protect their own safety. They're also doing it sometimes because they don't want to hurt the person and they don't want to have to deal with their hurt. And sometimes they're doing it because, you know, in online dating, you spend your whole time working hard to look like your best self and to present a really positive impression of yourself. And then by saying to someone that you're not going to keep going, that's quite negative. And that switch from trying to be this really positive version of yourself to turning into a negative version, people just don't really want to have to do that. Um, and so they'd rather just ghost instead. Yeah, it's there's just so much to learn here. And a lot of it seems to be that the more you know about what other factors are impacting the behavior of the other side, yes. that it's not all just tar targeted at you. They're not ghosting you because of you. They're ghosting you because experiences on these app or yeah. society has taught them that sometimes a rejection can end really, really badly and be destructive and, yeah. and that seems safer for them. So I think approaching these apps with a bit more of that kind of understanding of the both sidesness yeah. of it all yeah. will hopefully help people yeah. a lot in the long yeah. run. And the same with like guys who, who kind of send messages going, you know, please answer me. Why haven't you answered me? You know, that can feel distressing on the receiving end but understanding that maybe they've sent 300 messages and no one has responded to them that's lonely and anxiety provoking and distressing itself and so uh, maybe a little bit of understanding for not the abusive people now but the ones who are maybe a little bit persistent and don't get it that we could come back to them and say yeah. hey listen this is why yeah maybe, maybe all maybe they're looking for is a this. clear yeah. response and if you give them that and now and if they respond badly to that, then absolutely block, block, <laughs> block and report <laughs> the, liberally. the soundtrack of this yeah. episode. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for talking to me, uh, Nicola. If anybody wants to read more of your work, they can find it on nicolafoxhamilton.com. And also there's an Audible original book that you can get there called The Psychology of Online Behaviour if you want to learn more and be a mini Nicola yourself. And you can also check out Nicola's amazing masterclass on online dating on Dara and Co. Um, and lots more uh, there, lots of advice on love bombing, red flags, a lot of the things that we spoke about here today all on darandco.com thank you so much thank you very much